This week on Physio Foundations, we're launching a series of episodes called Clinical Anatomy. So anatomy is one of my favorite topics and a favorite part of my working week as a physiotherapy educator. And to help me launch this series, I'm talking to another really well-known and credentialed and equally passionate anatomy educator, Associate Professor Michelle Lazarus. Welcome to the Physio Foundations podcast, the podcast about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So I'm honored to have Associate Professor Michelle Lazarus on the podcast this week to launch this series of clinical anatomy episodes. So Michelle's the director of the Monash Center for Human Anatomy Education, the deputy head of department in education for anatomy and developmental biology within the Biomedical Discovery Institute. And Michelle's also the curriculum integration network lead within the Monash Uni Center Scholarship in Health Education. So in other words, Michelle is a, also a highly experienced educator and anatomy educator. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. So Michelle, welcome to Physio Foundations. Thank you. I do want to highlight that the deputy head of department of education is now um, filled with Chantel Hop. It used to be two people. And then during the pandemic, I took over both roles just to help us get through a transition. But now the wonderful and very accomplished Chantel Hoppe is um, the deputy head of education in our department. Oh, good to clarify and welcome yeah. Chantel to that role, doing a great job. And, yep. and you're very busy. I've, I've, there's, there's actually other plenty Roles of other stuff I could have <laughs> I could have read could have read for half an hour all the, exactly. all the different roles you and so have I missed anything else in my introduction there perhaps if, if you can give listeners a bit of a summary of who you are and what yeah. you do and current interests and projects Yep, that's a great uh, question. So I am often uh, transitioning my professional identity. Who am I? What do I do in a workplace? Um, so I used to be a cell biologist and became an anatomy educator. And now I consider myself um, a clinical anatomy educator and education researcher. So I wear a variety of hats related to that. Um, my biggest and proudest role, though, is the director role, not because I'm the director, but because I feel like I'm helping create the future and support the future of clinical anatomy education. And we have some excellent, excellent academic staff and professional staff within the center. Um, so that's the role that I'm really excited about. Mm. And it's a wonderful place to work. Uh, so I work as a, one of the anatomy facilitators yes. with Joe Corbett, who's I'm trying to get on the podcast. He's such a good educator. And yes. has such good knowledge, and you, so you work well. Uh, you work with Joe as my yes. as a, Joe coordinates the team that I'm a part of there. And I teach into, and uh, it's such a good energy and such a good team of everyone there in that department and in the anatomy team. And then we have some some really interesting, good, high quality educators who come in as clinicians, and they bring yep. all their recent clinical knowledge in as well. So it's just energy is the best word I can have for for teaching anatomy. I've I've done it since 2010 with you guys there. Yep. I, I just love coming in there and doing it. So um, I, I have the secret belief that anatomy educators are the best educators in oh good. education. Not biased at all, but <laughs> not biased at all. <laughs> what, so what, what do you love about it? What do I love about it? I think the challenge. So anatomy, if we think about it in the public or even as I thought about it growing up, I thought it was super exciting. You literally get to understand yourself and who you are in this world. I mean, who doesn't want to know about that? I remember mm. getting books and like going, oh, this muscle and uh, how a fetus grows or all of these different, you know, children's books on different anatomy. I even had a 3D like pullout book. I loved it. Um, 
And I also like the challenge in higher education because I think at some point we start to think that anatomy is just memorization and regurgitation. Um, and I get to be the person who hopefully changes the minds of our students. So it's really about understanding and a very actually physio, I imagine, perspective about the function of the muscle and how that function or the um, makeup of that muscle impact each other. So how the anatomy impacts the physiology and vice versa. Absolutely. That's our focus. So yeah. our, our subject is called applied anatomy. And within that, of course, we'll have clinical anatomy. And yeah. that's the, the focus of these series of episodes I'm planning. And they'll be really just the golden nuggets that you the take-home messages from learning that anatomy. It's not to learn anatomy again from the beginning, but that's that's a job that everyone has to go through and do themselves. But that that intersection between the structure and the function and the person and the condition that they've come yeah. to see you with, it's just, it's just endlessly fascinating. So um, what's your favorite area then? This, I mean, you, so you Ooh. teach broadly across anatomy. So we're talking about the entire, we're not just talking yeah. about musculoskeletal anatomy. We're yeah. talking about systems. We're talking about you know, abdothorax, head and neck, everything, the whole body. Yeah. So do you have Actually, a favorite region or area of the body or maybe a, a topic to teach? Yeah, absolutely. I do. <laughs> um, it's interesting that you say that because I um, also serve on the Royal Australian College of Surgeons uh, anatomy board. And within there, we have, we grade different exams or set different exams and everybody picks their topic area. And uh, us anatomists are just like, we'll take whatever you know you don't want, basically, because you're right. We do have a broad maybe not as in-depth within some areas, the specialist areas, but we have a broad understanding of anatomy. But as you point out, each of us have our favorite areas and I definitely gravitate towards the visceral cavity anatomy and innervation, um, peripheral nervous system. I think because it's more of a story. I love storytelling. I love the story of how we, um, if you look at development and then where it positions itself in the adult and all the implications of that. To me, viscera innervation, it is a story and um, it's a puzzle that you have to 3D puzzle you have to put together. So I like the challenge of of that area. Mm. And the story can be a functional story as well. If you start Absolutely. telling the story, I'm, I'm thinking about musculoskeletal anatomy here where there's the story of you know, muscles that, that share um, load through shared um, connection, and I'm thinking about the iliotibial band with its connection into the you know, lateral intermuscular septum and into the linear aspera and to the femur. And the femur isn't straight; it's actually curved because of the forces and loading yes. that go through it. And and you, you can't stop. You just keep talking these stories that think, are related to the structure. Absolutely. And Luke, you hit upon something that was eye opening for me. So on um, a mini version of the podcast we did, we interviewed researchers and I learned from somebody that bones, we view them as static things that are unmovable, unshapeable. They are actually dynamic contributions to your human physiology. They are molecules are coming in and coming out of them. They're affected. It's just, it's fascinating. And we can think of that with our teeth. Like if we lose them or we gain them, our whole jaw changes position, which changes positions of our ears, which changes. It's, it's awesome. Everything in our body is dynamic and changeable. And you're absolutely right. The function can be part of that journey and that story of the human body. And the podcast Michelle's talking about listeners is the Ask Anatomist podcast. Yep. So you've got to check that out if you haven't seen it. And it's in it had a couple of series and then COVID happened and yeah. we're hoping it returns. One um, day. <laughs> so this is a this podcast is a conversational style and it has content. And your your podcast was a sort of a panel and yep. um, you know, 
lots of direct questions that you'd investigate in a panel format. So it was it was yeah. really good for education. You could sort of refer to those exercises. Exactly. I actually stumbled upon one with Mick Store, who's yeah. my colleague that I work closely with in first year physio at Monash, and he did a panel with Mick and some doctors and a patient advocate. Yep. Um, and yeah, so so a number of different people, and so that's that was really useful. So. What, again, I'm going to segue off the off the topic here. So, yep. what actually got you inspired to do that podcast as oh, an educator? It's a, a public facing really, thing versus yeah. working with privately inside a university. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it is absolutely because of my own journey that I got interested in it. So, I remember what it was like to be a patient before I understood anatomy and after, because I was. It wasn't until my postdoc that I even learned clinical anatomy. Um, most people learn it much younger um, or much in more junior in their career. And I realized I was better at asking questions, understanding and interpreting what the doctor was telling me because I knew the language that they were using to tell me that information. And I started wondering, why is this a privileged source of information? Why can't we help the community also gain the language and knowledge needed to understand their own body? And that's ultimately where this came from, because ultimately our students are the community at some point, right? They don't have expert knowledge of anatomy till they're through the anatomy. So we tried to target both areas, a subcurrent, which you highlighted in that back pain um, uh, episode, is the idea that anatomy isn't just for one specialty. It is our understanding of the complex human body depends on yeah, diverse perspectives. There's, and everybody has a depth of knowledge. I just gave the example of Rex. Like, there are hand surgeons that can tell me about structures that there's no way I would have even been aware of. And they're, they're, it's a, it's a constantly evolving area too. So I think a lot of our students think that anatomy and knowledge is done. It's in a textbook. It is complete. No, when a person reconfigures, maybe they damage their hand muscle and the surgeon has to go back in. They're still researching what's the best attachment. How do we attach that to get the fully functioned hand movements back, right? That's actually really complicated. The human body is amazing with its attachment sites, how it functions. And there's huge areas of research that are still being undertaken there. And I think that podcast was meant to both help the general public interpret their own clinical situations better and get across the message. Research is still happening in the area and there's lots of people focused on that area. So anatomy is so vast. Yes. And in, in, it's so, so, so much of your career or your interest can go into anatomy and you'll never find the bottom. Yeah. And at the <laughs> same time, it can, be, <laughs> it can be challenging, especially for, particularly for an undergrad student. I, I thrived more in anatomy in my postgrad, my master's. Yes. I actually really enjoyed it undergrad as well. But I, I found that I, it really it came home for me then as an older student, but there's, there's a new language to learn and um, there's, it's vast. So for the students listening, what are your tips as an expert educator for chunking information together, for, for studying anatomy, for really making it stick? Yep. I think that I'll, I'll highlight a challenge often. So to quote one of my medical students, and this was a brilliant quote, and I, I guess I also see this as an observation um, medical students, and I imagine many students are the term they used, completionist. They want to know it all. They want to understand it all. And as you just highlighted, Luke, there's 
we don't know it all. <laughs> There's literally research in this area that's still undergoing. There is depth of anatomy that we as educators are not aware of. Um, so the depth is challenging. My first tip is to listen to your educators. They are setting boundaries on the depth that they want you to go. So I would discourage, especially we saw this in COVID, like lots of, well, I went online and I found this resource, this resource, and then this conflicting resource. We're, get, we're telling you the resources we want you to use. We're telling you the depth we want you to highlight. Use us, use that. Um, I think, I don't, I think there's a trust challenge, maybe because in the past they've had student uh, educators who've tried to catch them out or trigger. Them. I want them to be competent doctors. I want them to be comfortable, competent clinicians, com competent phys physios. My goal is not to trick them; it's to give them the base knowledge so they can take care of me when I'm old and decrepit, right? So, like, I when I'm ill, when I'm coming to you with back pain, when which is forty percent of your patients, I am not here to prove that I'm smarter than them or that they're not as smart as they think they are. I am here to make sure that they can care for their patients. And so I think that that's the first thing is to, to use their educators for the depth. The second thing is, is to move away from what I opened with that memorization focus. Anatomy is not memorization. You, um, there's a book called a hundred years of solitude. I, very few people have heard of it, but basically it opens up with this, um, family tree that's like 300 people deep. It's like basically anatomy. Here's a book of anatomy. Here's a bunch of names you think you need to memorize and their relationships to each other. It doesn't work. You read the story and you start to know and understand and remember every single one of those names because there's a story behind it. Mm. Oh, this is all a part of the flexor compartment. That's why the nerve here is that. That's why. So starting to go from the higher order, the scaffold of anatomy, and then filling in the details. Don't start the other way. Because if you understand the story of anatomy, either it's function, either it's development, however, whatever story you feel that you align with, mm. then you fill in the details of what those structures are to tell that story. That's a better way than trying to memorize a hundred different terms that seem meaningless. It's a very so. different position to be in thinking about a story and yeah. that engagement you have to be, that level of engagement you need to have to engage at the story level versus the completionist or the yes. the gifted test taker who's going to come in and, and wants to know what's on their exam. And I just can't agree more with you about the your the statement there this, when we're talking directly to students here that as educators we are, our job is just to make sure you're competent. Yeah. You have the basic competence to go and, and the, the real learning begins when you graduate. There really Absolutely. isn't any skullduggery and trickery going on behind yeah. the scenes. And we spend most of our time telling you exactly what will be on your exam. <laughs> exactly. So listen to your educators and, you know, enjoy the journey. Um, and, the, and, the, and also a really important point there about the educators, the big role of facilitator and educator is to um, define the boundaries of your learning. Yeah. And it turns mm. out it's interesting because we're not going to try and teach you everything it's not our goal because we assume that you're going to continue to learn. I mm. continue to learn. I learn every day from these uh, surgeons that I work with or from my peers who do research in neuroscience. So the goal is really to give you the knowledge of where you know and where you don't know and how to look that information up. I think if we can, if we can give you that and you can work towards that, we've done our job well. Mm. My next question was for the educators listening, what makes a good anatomy teacher and that's really being that's something that you're just talking about there what's so what does what else makes a good anatomy teacher or facilitator 
What's yeah, I, I think the best advice I can give anybody who's interested in teaching is first know who your audience is and where they're headed. Because the lecture or the tutorial or the workshop I give to a medical student is going to be vastly different than the one I give to the physio student, which is going to be vastly different than the science student. And that's what we were talking about. Anatomy is so in-depth and so comprehensive and diverse. What we choose to focus on impacts what you're going to learn, what you're going to take away. And we should match that to where the students are. Mm. I think that's number one. If you do that well, and then the second thing, which I think there's evidence for, I just saw a paper about this, passion, man. You got to be passionate about your topic. Students take on that passion. They they value that passion. If you're, think of it the last time you listened to, I don't know, a um, documentary, if they were mundane and just saying this is the best stuff. You know, mm. Nobody watches documentaries for that reason. Do you learn something from a documentary? Almost universally, yes. Are you engaged in a documentary? Almost universally, yes. And the reason why is because there's a story, there's boundaries around the knowledge, and there's passion behind it. So mm. I would say those are the three things. That's so good. So this, I mean, you're talking to an educator here. And then say you're a student listening to this as well. Mm. You can really take something away from that. And yeah. now what about for a clinician or a practitioner listening? So we could go anywhere with this at all. This is, this is free time, <laughs> cool. play time here. Yeah. Uh, what principles of anatomy do you feel are most important or interesting? It really depends on the type, on the audience, like you said, on the type yeah. of clinician we're talking to here. Let's yeah, talk, th- let's talk um, doctors first. So your original trainings at cell biologists, you worked a lot with doctors mm. and physios mm. need to work with doctors. What if you're talking to a group of GPs or, or doctors? Um, principles think, of anatomy, do you keep coming back to with that group? Yeah, I think with that group, um, I used to teach a fourth year course that I both created and then supported when I was in the States. And we had a diverse representation of doctors. So instead of the basic science anatomist, which is a fourth, a first year course, this was a graduating anatomy course. So we had GPs, we had surgeons, um, medical imaging, radiologists, excuse me, uh, physios actually involved, uh, orthopedic surgeons. And it was about, you would teach a pain area, so neck anatomy, for instance. So there's neck pain. What do you need to know for physical exam? What anatomy? What anatomy do you need to know to understand the imaging? What anatomy do you need to know to order that physio prescription? You know, those kinds of things. The biggest thing that I walked away with from there is that expert clinicians are expert because of a theory called encapsulation theory. And it is a very advantageous and required piece step in expert development. So this is the idea that that basic anatomy is no longer retrievable because you've encapsulated. Think of a pill, right? Mm. The pill Inside the pillar, all the little, you know, actual medicine, but on the outside, there's this capsule around it. And so instead of taking all the little bits of medicine, you're taking a single capsule. Mm. So the ability to break apart that pill and show them all the different steps it took them to get to that answer is really challenging the more expert you get. And that's a huge advantage when you have 15 minutes to see a patient because you can't go, oh, during this shoulder exam, I'm testing this muscle, this nerve, this. It it would take you 45 minutes to go back through the pathway. Mm. But when you're a student, you need to understand that pathway. So I would say that the best thing you can do, because 
you're not going to know your blind spots. You're not going to know where you're not communicating the parts of the capsule well. Co-create with students. Ask them, what don't you understand? Give them the opportunity to provide feedback um, before you give the formal teaching. I think that would be my biggest, like, the example I use is one day I was driving to work. I had the dogs in the car. This was in the States. And I was dropping them off at doggy daycare. So I thought. I don't know what happened, but I'm driving and I end up in the parking lot at work. The dogs are still in the back. I can't tell you which road I took, what, where I turned right. If somebody had said, what roads did you go to get here? I'd be like, I don't know. I just ended up here because that's encapsulated knowledge. I drove that every day. It's become second nature, but a medical student will want to know. I turned right here. I saw a stop sign that told me to turn left here, et cetera. So it's about figuring out that journey and conveying that journey, not going straight to the end point. So um, it has to be two way. You can't just sit there yeah. and didactically deliver content. No. This is a, a conversation that's happening, yeah. which lends yeah, itself to- Yeah, because they can ask them. you a question like, which way did you turn? How did you get to that point? That's, mm. yeah, that's a great comp point, Luke. Very great point. It lends itself to the type of teaching that we do, which is small group, casual approach, but serious content, serious effort and everything. But but it should be comfortable. Everyone gets to have a say. Students presenting, students giving regular feedback. Yeah. And the huge advantage you have as a clinician is you are on those wards, you are seeing things every day. So if you can partner with an anatomist who maybe has that map more clear and use that clinical knowledge and develop this co-created material that students have informed where their workshops or clinical cases, they're working through those maps, those pathways to get to the answer or the diagnosis or the differential. Um, it would be amazing. Use your expertise. And this is this applies to all educators. Don't assume you know you have all the expertise to do teaching well. So I always draw upon people in areas or like, I am not a clinician. I reach out to clinical faculty and say, tell me a case that you've seen, what's common, what are challenges, et cetera. So a part of effective education is not just depth of knowledge in your field, but it's knowing where your depth of knowledge is limited and reaching out to experts to help support that. Mm, so important. So this encapsulation theory, is this, mm. does this lead to the curse of knowledge where you, you know... <laughs> so much that you've forgotten what it, what it's like to not know and yeah and it can, can lead to a one-way delivery of content and if you're not aware of the person's um, perceptions of or understanding of what's going on can lead to them going through a whole semester and not really understanding what was happening sometimes yeah. it is difficult with students from different cultural backgrounds where they directly tell you well in, our, in my culture it's when we're encouraged or we're not it's not the done thing to ask questions yeah. that's tough as well. But again, I think small groups and getting to know the people can really help as well. And Break down those barriers. Providing clear instruction to ask questions. Everybody mm. today will ask, and providing multiple avenues for asking the questions. I think Zoom was challenging. Teaching mm. Zoom, teaching anatomy on Zoom was very challenging. But the advantage that I wish we could recreate, I'm still trying to figure this out, is the chat function. People felt comfortable sending private messages. Nobody knew they were asking a question. Mm. Um, those kinds of experiences actually opened up a whole opportunity to be more diverse and inclusive of different types of learners um, who maybe don't want to stick their neck out. Um, have grown up in a different culture where it's not appropriate to do so. Um, yeah. And I don't know how to recreate that in the face-to-face. I don't want to lose what we learned, um, mm. but I'm not sure yet how to merge those ideas. It's, it's, we're always learning. 
not just the content of anatomy, but definitely education as well. There's so much in there for us to follow on different themes and different episodes. And yeah. I'm going to launch this series where it'll be mainly me and some guests. And, um, and there's lots of good guests that I can get on. And we're going to talk about all these interesting functional and structural relationships. And I'm really looking forward to it. So um, listeners, if you found it interesting, what we've talked about so far, remember to share the episode and tag me in. So you can tag me in at Luke Periton. You can tag Periton Physio at Periton Physio. And I'm going to put links to all of the things that Michelle's mentioned here in the episode in the show <laughs> notes, even the book, 100 Years of Solitude. Oh, um, for people to look up. We've got, I've, I've written it all down. We've got, um, and we've got, you know, your background, your um, your uh, profile where we can find you, Michelle, and anywhere else that you'd like to direct people to, potentially resources for clinicians or students yeah. or educators, where's a good place to go As, apart from their textbooks to um, where's some good resources you direct people to? Uh, that's an excellent question. It's when we get students. I don't have a clear-cut answer other than I can speak to my own experience. I think people, other people reaching out. I, I have to tell you, academic Twitter, clinic meta Twitter has been an amazing resource for finding expertise or finding resources when you're seeking them. Um, so it's actually one of the reasons that I created the Ask Anatomist uh, Twitter site was people can ask questions of the anatomy community and they always get answered with experts who've been using the material that, you know. So I actually don't think there's the one-stop shop for mm. excellent education, but I do think that humans have an amazing feature when we reach out to each other to support that. So I would say, I would say Twitter is the resource that I would use. That's probably makes me ancient and inappropriate, but no, that's I exactly. Think I, <laughs> well, no, well, in terms of being ancient and, and this is the exact answer that we got from one of the oh. Monash new grads. Oh, um, his top resources was social media and Twitter yeah. and, and, um, and LinkedIn. Where, you get, so it obviously the playing, playing field, mm. you can get experts that you would never have access to otherwise. So, yeah. Mm. And, and the psychology there is that if you ask a question, people are, yeah. interested in answering that in a way that you would have to put a lot of effort to to get That's that happening in real life. You'd have to go and, and actually buy people coffees and find them in universities and you can find them instantly. People want yeah. to answer your questions. MedEd is hashtag MedEd. Yes. And there's also hashtag um, PT and physio Twitter. There's all sorts of hashtags related to yeah. questions that you might ask and find experts in there. Um, I don't mind that as an answer at all because okay. you have to be <laughs> you have to be th thought really sort of thoughtful, discerning, and have a good filter with social media because there's all sorts of stuff on there. Yep. But so are all the experts as well, and sometimes you can find things before they're before you even find them in your PubMed or your journal alert search as well. You can find articles as well. So absolutely. We've also got askanatomist.com. That's still going, your website? Yes. Yeah. Yes, our website's still going and the Twitter feed is definitely still going. So it's a dynamic Twitter feed and I view it as a source for exactly what you're asking. So when people have questions about anatomy from anywhere from histology, so microanatomy all, all the way to clinical anatomy and everything in between, anatomy mm. education, learning anatomy, 
tag Ask Anonymous, it will get tweeted out. I often know the professionals to then tag in who might be able to help answer the question. If I don't, then I just tweet it. And every time we've gotten responses and very, very important conversations that typically end in, there probably isn't a one answer, but here's a few options. <laughs> That's always the way it all just yeah. branches out and explodes. But exactly. the point is that you've just got experts from all around the world. All around the world. Instantly contributing to an answer, which is which yeah. in such a connected world and we're so lucky. But you've got to actually use it for it to work. So Absolutely. ask um, um, at ask anatomist, you and then there's it. your your own Twitter uh, at inside out anatomy. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, without the e because they without wouldn't an, let me have. It's right. why it's not ask an anatomist because there also is a limit of characters there. <laughs> I n s i d out anatomy. Yeah, on Twitter, and then um, so you've given us lots of good thoughts to go on with, uh, and it really is a key sort of a. a a, um, a summary of what you said there in terms of anatomy education, have that passion and have a story and the story continues and there's no bottom to it. There's no end to the story, but then know the boundaries of that story for when you're learning yourself and when you're helping to teach or when you've got a certain amount of time and as a clinician, you're looking something up, don't get lost down the rabbit hole. Yes. Go and look things up and be focused on why you're looking it up and then move on. You are absolutely right, Luke. One of the key pieces of advice that maybe I'll get yelled at for giving that I give to students, especially when they're struggling is don't read the book because I mean, it's like an encyclopedia of anatomy until you have a question to ask the book. Mm. It's very challenging to take anything away from because the text isn't written to tell the story of anatomy It is written to provide factual information. Mm. So without a really good question to ask it, the Oracle of the textbook, um, yeah, I think it can be overwhelming and not necessarily beneficial for the learning. So I would actually start with the resources the educator provides and then use the textbook to fill in the gaps, to assimilate the knowledge, to consolidate the knowledge. Mm, brilliant. Yeah. I don't know if that'll get me in trouble with the entire education community. Like don't use the textbook. I'm not saying don't use the textbook. I'm saying use the textbook purposefully. <laughs> yeah, that's what you said. And, yeah. <laughs> and that's, it's, that's a great analogy of it being similar to a thesaurus or a dictionary yeah. or an encyclopedia wouldn't sit there reading it there'd be no, no story there'd be no context and as a clinician when you do pull out the anatomy book and you yeah. look something up and show the person and you're learning you're sharing that learning and you're actually showing them in an, a, a clinical textbook or anatomy textbook there's really power in that as well and brian kim one of our grads who was on the the new grad series on this podcast oh, cool. talked about doing that as a new grad Oh, and it served good. dual purpose of actually looking things up for himself and just yep. real-time education because you can't remember everything. No one does. No but one. He would share that education with the person, the patient he was working with, and that was really it's really similar to what you were saying. Yeah. Let's wrap it up there. Thanks very much, Michelle, no for a really interesting discussion. I really appreciate your time and I'm looking forward to seeing you in the anatomy buildings next yes. or building next semester, <laughs> all the different levels. So um, until next time. This is Michelle and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning. Thank you so much for having me, Luke. 